Good evening, everyone. Continue this evening with our discourse on the Bhagavat Sandharva of Srila Jiva Goswami. We're at the beginning of the text. From Anacheta 3, we see that Jiva Goswami was giving a uh, a definition of Bhagavan, specifically highlighting his characteristics, his qualities, from various verses from the Vishnu Purana, as spoken by the sage Parasara. And we went over a little bit of a discussion of the fact that we can look at any substance, dravya, and see that there is a substance or an item that is characterized without qualities, uh, visesha, unqualified. We mentioned a cow. So an unqualified cow may be there, and then we'd have a white cow. So now we've added the quality to, to the cow category. And it further distinguishes it, gives us a little better understanding that of the nature of that specific item, subject. Those qualifications are referred to by the Sanskrit word uh, visesana, and visista is the qualified object. And Jiva Goswami uses these terminologies to give us an idea of the same being applied to the Supreme Absolute, to the Supreme Entity. So, unqualified could be likened to Brahman, the unqualified, unspoken of, cannot speak about it. And then the qualified, which you can't speak enough about. Of course, our school is the qualified school. We're blessed by that, in our opinion. The unqualified absolute truth it's a wonderful aspect of the absolute truth, but not an aspect that will completely satisfy the bhakta. So he's not much interested in this unqualified, absolute, supreme Brahman. We practically finished the full discussion of the third Anucheda. There's a couple more notes I wanted to go over with you, uh, specifically in relation to of course, as I said, it's a very long Anucheta and has extensive commentary. And a lot of explanation is given by Srila Jiva Goswami to these, to these three characteristics and uh, how they can be related. And as we see throughout the uh, Satsandarvas of Srila Jiva Goswami, he uses a, a particular kind of not logic presenting the text, and the logic is uh, a certain yaya, uh, which is likened to the, the pounding of a post or a pole in the ground. He just keeps on pounding until there's not really a lot of, a lot of wiggle room there as far as understanding the point he's trying to get across. In fact, one would say that it's pounded so deeply that you can't, it's hard to get it out of your consciousness and uh, there's some some sure credit to that in firming up a foundation of some Bhanda 
Won't you give us an opportunity to uh, to build and erect a uh, a firm structure upon which we can uh, perform spiritual practice? A house lacking a firm foundation uh, will not endure for long. You put a house, you see, by the coastline. They sometimes put houses on on poles. But no matter what, I mean, they use the hardest wood they can, but still, over due course of time, the, the waves continually coming in are going to weaken that foundation. We want to make sure that our posts are pounded deeply and that we we don't let the uh, the waves of uh, errant logic uh, create any doubts in our understanding, uh, which will impede our, impede our practice. And adversely affect our attainment of the goal. When we talk about qualified and underqualified, and then Jiva Goswami goes on immediately from there and says, and these are some of the qualities. We can't really denote all the qualities, but here's 30 or 40 of them to get started with from, uh, you know, Parasara Muni, as he's uh, relayed them in the Vishnu Purana. And then there's the main definition also from the Vishnu Purana, of the word Bhagavan. So when we say Bhagavan, he basically centers on a definition again from the Vishnu Purana. Aishvarya is Bhagavan's feature by which everything exists under his control. Qualifier, Samagrasya, in their totality, all of these qualities that are attributed to the word Bhagavan, that are intrinsic to this word, are samagrasya. They're they're in their totality. You cannot find a larger a larger aggregate of these qualities anywhere. This is what's that Parasaramuni's stating in this text. It's samagrasya, Aishvarya. is samagrasya to about, to be applied to all six of these attributes. The other five being, so the first one is Aishvarya, his opulence. You can't even begin to to count all the various opulences. So when we speak Aishvarya, in total, we're speaking about Bhagavan. The other six attributes being Virya, inconceivable influence or power, we would say. Yasas, fame, no one. No thing is more famous than the Supreme Absolute Truth. Shri, prosperity. Jnana, omniscience, or full knowledge. Gyan. And Vairagya, absence of attachment to all of these qualities and everything else. To all material products and phenomena. That qualification is put in there. To material. Because Krishna is certainly, he has no... Vairagya when it comes to his associates. He can't get enough of them. So you can't say that he's renounced. He may appear to be renounced. He may disappear for a few moments just to see how everybody reacts. (laughs) But he can't stay gone for long. So these words need to be attributed and and seen when we speak of Bhagavad. Ashvarya, Virya, Yasas, Shri, Jnana, and Vairagya. 
samagrasya, in unimaginable fullness, uncalculable fullness, samagrasya. From Bhaktivedanta Swami, he used a little bit different nomenclature, uh, wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. All attractive feature, ashwarya, beauty. When you speak of ashwarya, you're speaking of of the most beautiful in all all these characteristics. So he used that nomenclature in English. He was content to say, Krishna is the most beautiful. So good to know from Vishnu Purana uh, is where the verse comes. And also in the verse, uh, we have the text uh, Sambhartha, the capacity to nourish and nourishing specifically in relationship to the cosmos and all the living entities that are sustained moment to moment in... And that's important. I mean, if you really think, you talk about God and you, you talk about what's, what really is, is happening in the, in the material manifestation, every living entity is being sustained at every moment. It's, it's quite a feat. So that's a general overview of the contents of the third Anucheda. Now, this evening we're going to proceed with Jiva Goswami to the fourth Anucheda. Now Jiva Goswami is going to explain the same idea, but he's going to show it through the texts of the Bhagavatam itself. So he's gone to Vishnu Purana to give us definition of Bhagavan. And he's told us about the qualities and the unqualified and how to look at that, how they relate, how you cannot have any qualification without without the substance that it qualifies. We had some discussion on that. Now he goes on to fortify in this fourth Anocheda the position of the core verse for the whole Bhagavat Sandarbha which is the half of the sloka, the Vedanti Tat sloka. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan Iti Samjate. Let me show you just a few of the verses in the Bhagavatam that refer to the Supreme Absolute, spoken from the mouths of so many of Krishna's devotees, that exactly point out these three viewpoints. So he begins by quoting Narada Muni uh, in his Anucheda. Narada is speaking to Vyasadeva. Vyasadeva is questioning Narada, who is visiting him in Dwarka, about the nature of Bhagavat Dharma. And he wants to know specifically about Bhakti, but he refers to it as Bhagavat Dharma. And what Narada does is, as most often is done when people inquire from a sadhu, uh, they they quote a dialogue between another sadhu and his disciples. So Narada, instead of directly answering him, says, well, I'll, I recall way back when uh, I overheard of a discussion between King Nimi and the Navayugendras, uh, specifically Pipalayana. Let's talk about that discussion. This is the the actual beginning of the Anucheda. Jiva Goswami actually quotes the conversation. The same idea is also explained in the following question and answers. 
King Nimi asked, What's it, what do we mean by the same idea? The same idea of Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, and Bhagavaniti. So King Nimi asks, Because you are masters, he's referring to the, asking the Navagyagendras, among those who have directly intuited the Absolute, you are certainly fit to disclose to me the essential truth. Don't hold anything back. I mean, you, you're qualified. You know the answer. I need to know. And you need to tell me. Don't hold anything back. Disclose to me the absolute essential truth regarding the Supreme Lord Narayan, Bhagavan, the unqualified absolute, Brahman, and the supreme eminent self of all beings, Paramatma. I want to know everything about all these manifestations of the supreme absolute truth. Pipalayana, speaking on <clears throat> behalf of the Navagyogendas, answers, My dear king, he who is the source of the creation, maintenance, and dissolution of this cosmos, yet is without prior cause, you should know is the supreme personal Absolute Bhagavan. He who is present as the substratum of the various states of wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, and who also pervades the state beyond these, the state of samadhi, or unconditioned being, you should know as the supreme transcendent Brahman. He who animates the body, senses, life force, and mental faculties, setting all of them in motion, you should know as the supreme eminent Paramatma. So we're going to notice in this Anacheda that Jiva Goswami is going to take us a little deeper and he's going to point out the distinction between these three nomenclatures that are applied to the absolute truth. And he's going to do that by quoting verses from the Bhagavatam that bring out these differences. This is significant to the Sadaka because in studying Shastra, once we know deeply the definition, then when we come across any discourse, we'll know specifically which aspect of the absolute truth is being spoken of. Although they're all the one supreme absolute, they function in different capacities. They make themselves manifest to the inquirer according to what? Their qualification. So we, as we go through Shastra, and specifically Bhagavatam, we're going to know, well, this has to be referring to Brahman. This can't be referring to Bhagavan. Because look at what the qualification of the audience is. And look at the way the information is spoken of. So you can know that this is, this is Brahman. For an audience that has the capacity, the Adhikari, to approach the Supreme in this particular way. Now, Jiva goes on to explain. The purport of the Nimi's question is as follows. 
The word Narayan refers to Bhagavan. Bhagavan is Narayan. So when we speak of Bhagavan, the word is equivalent to Narayan. The word Narayan refers to Bhagavan because it appears with the other two words. And they've been qualified in the statement made. Brahman and Paramatma, which are found with Bhagavan as the third member of the group, just as in Srimad Bhagavatam 1.2.11. Again, 1.2.11 is what? Our Vedanti Tat verse. Vedanti Tat Tat Vavidas. That Narayan and Bhagavan had the same meaning is stated in Srimad Bhagavatam. And now another verse is quoted. When the primeval Sri Narayan generated his cosmic form out of the five elements produced from himself and then entered within that cosmic body in the form of his own plenary portion, he became known as the Purusha, Paramatma. Again, remembering the the esteemed position that Sridhar Swami holds in his commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. Lord Chaitanya was specifically very fond of his commentary, and uh, we will see how profound Sridhar Swami's commentaries are on the Bhagavatam. In his commentary on, and this is Jiva speaking, remember at the middle of the Tatvasandarva, Jiva said, one of my main pramanas is going to be this particular commentary. In his commentary on Varuna's prayers to Sri Krishna, I offer my obeisances unto you who are Bhagavan, Brahman, and Paramatma. That's just a quote from the verse of Varuna's prayers. Sridhar Swami similarly states that Paramatma means the controller, regulator, and guide of of all living beings. The living being is conscious and is conscious, Atmatva. In comparison to him, Bhagavan is supreme consciousness and supremely conscious, Paramatma. The word Paramatma thus implies that he is the Jiva's benefactor. The absolute without these qualifications is called Brahman whose existence is described in the verse by the phrase, he pervades the various states of wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, and also exists beyond them. The aspect of the absolute that remains undifferentiated from the jiva in the state of wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, and which shines beyond them as pure consciousness in states like trance, samadhi, is to be known as Brahman. Now we'll unpack that a little bit based on what's given here when we get to it. It gives us a a much deeper appreciation of the Brahman concept of the Absolute. And you can see how the Brahmavadis can take those verses from the Upanishads, which are particularly dear to them, because they speak primarily of Brahman, and see how Brahman is that all, all-encompassing all consciousness that pervades all the jivas and, of course, everything else.
And this, of course, is is also uh, reinforced from another verse. Waking, dreaming, and deep sleep are the three modifications of the faculty of intellect, booty, and are caused by the gunas of material nature. The living being within the body is different from these three states and is a witness to them. This is Krishna speaking to Uddhava from the 11th canto. So the jiva experiences three states of consciousness in the conditioned life. Hopefully a fourth state also, which is a state which is uninfluenced by the modes of material nature. We call that samadhi. So we have wakefulness, we have dreaming, and we have deep sleep. And hopefully we also have samadhi. We enter into a state of superconsciousness where there's no influence from the modes of material nature. Whereas the three other states are influenced by the modes. Wakefulness is influenced by Satmagun, dreaming by Rajagun, and deep sleep, which is practically no consciousness at all, by Tabagun. So these are influences on the booty, on the intellect of the jiva. No matter what state of consciousness we are in, the gunas are there influencing it. Unless we're in a state of samadhi. What do we refer to as deep, deep meditation? And we can see the whole sadhana of the bhakti is based around entering in to continual samadhi. Samadhi while we're cooking, samadhi while we're cleaning, while we're worshipping the deity, samadhi while we're reading. Everything is built around, all the sadhana is built around entering into a state of samadhi where the influence of these other states of consciousness really has no significance. And we see this in in the sadhus that have reached the higher levels. I mean, it starts with shraddha, adal, shraddha, tata, sadhu, sangota, bhajana, kriya, tatodartha, nevriti, shat, tatonista, ruchis, tata, bhava, prema. These states of, of an ever-advancing devotional rapture, we could say. I mean, in the beginning, it doesn't appear like it, but it's all one continual progression. And it begins with entering gradually into a samadhi no matter what we do. And the the practices of, of devotional service are so so strong, so powerful, that even if you can't enter into the, a full variegated program of sadhana bhakti, any one of these practices, shravanam, kirtanam, vishnu, smaranam, padasavanam, archanam, vandanam, dasyam, sakya, matmadavidam, any one of them, if you can enter into the samadhi of any one of them, you become perfect. Of course, the guru, and especially the gurus coming of late who are making a, a campaign which is all-encompassing to try to catch so many people, they're offering a, a program which is which is very variegated from morning to evening, serving, chanting, hearing, associating, serving the deity, attending classes, all meant to 
completely engage the flickering consciousness, which is going here and there, liking and disliking, continually giving aggravation, that even when you go to sleep to rest and the dreams are there, pounding away with this and that like and this appreciation and that, I mean, it just, it doesn't seem to end. And then, oh, bliss, it turns off in deep sleep for a little period of time. And then the dreams come again. And then we wake up. Then the mind is there again, flickering back and forth. But the guru's saying, no, let's do this. Now get up, take a bath, make yourself clean. Come in for, put on fresh clothing. Go in front of the deity and chant. Now worship the deity. Attend the class. Hear the sadhu. In this way, we come to the state of samadhi. And that is what we are aspiring for. That's what we notice sometimes in the sadhu and the guru. He falls away from our from our realm of consciousness and he's somewhere else. Are you with us? Well, I'll try to be. You want to be where I'm at. Don't bring me where you're at. Come here. So that's, he's always drawing, please. Come near, here. This is what you want. You want to be completely absorbed. So these states of consciousness... Rajagod, Tamagun, and we have that fourth state of consciousness. So Jiva goes on in his Sandarbha, If difference is intended, then the explanation should be as follows. So if we're going to see a difference between Brahman, all-encompassing consciousness of the Supreme Absolute, if we want to, if difference is the intent of our seeing, our darshan, then the explanation should be as follows. Brahman is non-different from the jiva. They're both conscious. In the three states of wakefulness, dreaming, and deep sleep, it also exists beyond these states in the potency known as the pure jiva. We also can be influenced by a pure state of consciousness. That state of consciousness, we would call that Sudasattva, perfect consciousness, not dreaming, not wakefulness, not deep sleep, something else. So if we're going to talk about Brahman and the likeness and the difference between the consciousness of the complete Supreme Absolute, the whole Absolute, and the infinitesimal particle of consciousness, and we want to refer to both as Brahman, know this distinction, that the jiva's consciousness can only be referred to as entering into Brahman when? When it's not influenced by the gunas of sattva, rajas, and tamas. So that consciousness has to be a, a consciousness that would be referred to as a samadhi, a, pure, a purified consciousness independent of influence by and independent of desire for anything in relationship to the gunas of material nature. What would it be focused on? Well, that depends on the practitioner and their qualification. But if it's Brahman, I mean, there's nothing to focus on. 
well, what's your definition of Brahman? If you're qualified, then you may not have the definition of Brahman you're referring to. You're thinking of Brahman only as some unqualified substance. Well, the Bhakta thinks of Brahman as, as the effulgence of the energy of the Supreme. It's a different definition based on the qualification of the student. Not that when we say Brahman, Brahman to the Bhakta is Krishna. It's all-pervading Krishna. Brahman to someone who doesn't know the qualification, who doesn't apply qualifications, qualities to the Supreme Absolute, looks at Brahman as the all-encompassing Absolute and nothing else. We have a fuller definition. We like a fuller de definition. We should not limit ourselves to the limited definition. When you say Brahman to the Bhakta, he thinks of Krishna. When you say Paramatma to the Bhakta, he thinks of Krishna. These are just for different aspects of that same supreme absolute truth. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Subjate are only nomenclatures to delineate a way of looking at the absolute based on what? The qualification of the worshiper. Bhagavan is called Tariya, the fourth, free of limiting adjuncts. So now we're going to look at, we've talked a little bit about looking at Brahman and how we can look at an, the absolute truth as Brahman and the characteristics of that Brahman being what? All pervasive, supreme consciousness and how we can gain some insight here as we gained at the end of the Tattvasandarbha by what? Looking to our own consciousness. So now what about Paramatma? What are the distinguishing characteristics of Paramatma? Bhagavan is Tariya, the fourth, free of limiting adjuncts. Whereas Paramatma appears to have and does to some extent in his capacity as Paramatma, he has duties in that regard, or he functions as dutiful in that regard. And those apatis manifest in three aspects. So we know the Absolute cannot have apatis, but the portion of the portion, Paramatma, who manifests the material cosmos, he appears to take anupadis for his Shristi Leela. And those are subtle, the Virat. So when we speak of the Virat, we're speaking of Karna Dakshai Vishnu, that manifestation of the Paramatma, who from the unagitated, neutral state of the modes of material nature, he glances on that pradana, and it comes into motion simply by his glance. Then he has the subtle Hiranyagarbha who amalgamates all that into various universes, and he himself enters into that universe, all those different universes. So we call that 
Garbodakshai Vishnu. And when we have the actual manifestations and controls of the individual jivas, we call that maya, and that's the Karnadakshai Vishnu. So these upadis only apply to the imminent self, that portion of the Supreme Absolute who has involvement in the Shristi Leela of manifesting a material cosmos, the material cosmos, both macrocosmic and microcosmic. But when we say the word Bhagavan, we use the nomenclature Nirupati, Noupati, nothing that delineates or qualifies the Supreme in any way. So that's, we would go deeper and we will the more we go into the, the Sundarbhas and understanding Paramatma. In fact, Jiva Goswami has presented a whole Sundarbha after this Bhagavat Sundarbha where we will be given more and more insight into what do we mean by Paramatma? How can, is he qualified or isn't he qualified? He's not under the modes of material nature, but he's not Bhagavan, although he's a portion of Bhagavan. When we talk of Bhagavan, we talk about the whole picture. When we talk about Paramatma, we talk about that aspect of Bhagavan, which has a limited picture. When we delimit something, we call that an apati. It's a subtle thing. You can't say that the upadi qualifies the supreme absolute truth because it doesn't. But it of its own nature in service and what do we know about the Purusha avatars? They are manifestations of yes, it's Ananda Balaram. So it gets into a very a very subtle understanding of these expansions of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Now when we say Bhagavan, we have a different definition. This Anucheta is speaking of Bhagavan is Narayan. Well, okay, fine. So your my definition of Narayan as a bhakti, I've learned what? Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam. So when you say Bhagavan, I say Krishna. Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. Some say Narayan. And Krishna's an incarnation of Narayan. From our viewpoint, when we say Bhagavan, we speak of Nirupati. No qualifying adjuncts. So Bhagavan is Nirupati without limiting adjuncts. This does not mean that the Purusha is conditioned by Maya, only that he does not manifest all of the features of Bhagavan. He's not qualified by Maya. It just means he just doesn't manifest all of those features. It's just like you talk about a king. The king, he doesn't manifest when he's sitting in his royal assembly house and managing the state of affairs. You're not seeing the complete picture. You're seeing his rulership, his control, 
He's giving directions. He has his ministers, he, his army. He's He has, you do this, you do this. How's this going? How's that going? How are the citizens faring over here? What happened where the drought happened? Did we be able to take? So he's dealing with all these things for the citizens. But we're not seeing the complete picture, are we? Because he also has the times when he himself may go on the battlefield. And then he's a warrior. Or he may go home and be with his wife and family. So at that time, he may be the horse. The child may crawl on his back. and You wouldn't see that. In the assembly house, he's the director of everything. And at home, he's being directed by the child. Now you go over here, you go over there. So we're not seeing the complete picture. It's not that Paramatma is not the supreme absolute truth. It's the supreme absolute truth in a particular environment of Shristi Lila, where not all these aspects are, are manifest. In relation to the jiva, Bhagavan enlivens the material body and senses. Thus he is called Hetu Karta, or inspiring agent. So we have inspiring agent, we have instrumental agent. Again, showing the fact that not only do we have the viewpoint we discussed a few minutes ago about consciousness and looking at the jiva in relationship to consciousness as the similarity between Brahman and the jiva, but then we also have the fact that the jiva in relationship to Bhagavan is being completely cared for by the Supreme Absolute. Paramatma is the Amsi and the jiva is the Amsa, or the part of Paramatma. Paramatma supplies the jiva with requisite energy and inspiration to work. He's the friend and the well-wisher of the living entity. Bhagavad Gita verse coming on. Bhoktaram yajna tapasam sarvalokam heshwaram suridam sarvabhutanam jnatvam yam santam richiti. A person in full consciousness of me, knowing me to be the ultimate beneficiary of all sacrifices and austerities, the supreme lord of all planets and demigods, and the benefactor and well-wisher of all living entities attains peace from the pangs of material miseries. 529. This is a state of samadhi, is it not? If you can see that everything you do, yat karoshi, yat ashnosi, yajjahosi, dadasi, yat, yat tapas, all that you do, all that you eat, all that you offer and give away as a sacrifice, to me, that's a perfect consciousness. That's Krishna consciousness. And that consciousness is a consciousness which is devoid of the influence of the modes of material nature. So that's a summary of the fourth Anucheda. Are there any questions? Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. Thank you.